everyone, this is the Parks Academy, where we discuss and celebrate all things theme parks related. We focus mainly on Disney parks and resorts in both Anaheim and Orlando. My name is Paige. My name is Steven. And today we will be continuing our Park Icons mini-series. Yes, we have finished up five already. Four already. Four. Four already. Good math. And uh, we are now moving to where it all began at Sleeping Beauty's Castle. And we were going to be we we're going to be ending it off at the big castle next week. The good castle. You don't even know a thing about <laughs> castles. <laughs> so Stephen will be tackling the little castle, and I will bring us home with the gorgeous, beautiful, better castle. That sucks. You don't. That's not <laughs> the truth at all. Half truths um, are lies. It's an opinion. It's an opinion, which means it's yeah, not false. It's actually a really bad opinion, but whatever. Um, what I mean, are you yeah, excited about this week, Stephen? I'm excited because this week I finally got to see Wes Anderson's Asteroid City. I have been waiting for this movie ever since it was first announced. He is, um, he is one of my favorite modern day, like still working directors, and uh, lived up to his expectations. Fantastic film, so much fun, and um, yeah, I love his movies. I know it's quirky and weird to say, maybe a little bit tumbler, tumblerly. Tumblr, that's like a Tumblr thing to do, to like Wes Anderson, you know. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I've I've loved his films ever since uh, I saw my first, uh, ever since I saw Bottle Rocket, and then like Rushmore is one of my favorites too. So this movie, of course, lived up to all his other ones, and I was very pleased. I usually go into these movies with no expectations because I hated Moonrise Kingdom. I thought it was terrible. But you saw that movie before you really knew about his catalog, right? You you didn't really know who he was when you first watched it. You just watched the film. This was before Yeah, but I don't really think I need to know him to mm-hmm. have opinions about his films. But it really... Because yeah. the Go reason ahead. I say that is I thought Grand Budapest Hotel was great. Like, objectively. Oh, that movie was a masterpiece. Because I've seen Moonrise Kingdom <laughs> since then. Like I've, I, we mm-hmm. watched it again. Yeah, and I still thought it was terrible, but I still loved Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah, so I, I think it's kind of a toss up because, like, first of all, for me anyway, I think it's helpful to know a director's entire filmography so you can look at everything as a whole picture, pun intended, instead of just like as a singular film. Um, like for instance, I liked the French Dispatch, but it wasn't my all-time favorite movie of his. I, I thought didn't that it was like kind of. That one. I thought there were elements of it that I just wasn't like all extraordinarily fond of. Um, and some actors are kind of shoehorned in that I felt were a little bit awkward. Timothy yeah. Chalamet. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, overall, like Moonrise Kingdom is not my favorite film of his. My my favorite film of his by far is is Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Mm-hmm. That's actually a good one maybe too. maybe one of my all-time favorite films. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just, um, I'm a huge fan. And because of his style, because of understanding like, you know, the type of films that he's made historically and his story. I just, I look at everything kind of as a whole and like, this is great stuff because of everything that preceded it. Yeah. Um, but that's just me. That's how I usually look at film. I think the cast of this movie is what made it. Yeah. Right. Tom Hanks in a Wes Anderson movie. Like what? I think the casting was just crazy. Fantastic. Yeah. So crazy, that crazy, always crazy. helps. Cause I, I, maybe that was part of why I didn't like the French dispatch or moonrise kingdom. Although little... the kids were kind of funny sometimes in in um, Moonrise Kingdom. Yeah, but... when they like danced on the beach in their underwear. Yeah, it was so weird. It was so weird. Oh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Can't forget about that one. Yeah, I don't like one that of the one great, either. One of the great films. I don't like animation. like When that. he holds up his apple at the end of the movie and has stars on it and he's just like... Are those puppets? Yeah. yeah. Well, they're... Um, it... No, they're not puppets. They're it's stop motion animation. Yeah, I don't like And they had to motion. like adjust individual furs on their faces and stuff. It was... Such a brilliant film. I appreciate that stop motion is such mm-hmm. a an intense art form. I don't like watching stop motion things, Ooh, particularly I like the love, clay ones. I love Ooh. stop motion. It's one of my. It's such a beautiful. I just love it. I can I appreciate it. it, but I don't like watching it. That's that's all. So yes, real people, Asteroid City, thumbs up. Two thumbs up. I don't know what I'm what excited ex- about this. Are week. you excited about nothing? Um, what am I excited about? I'm excited that it feels like summer break now. We, when this episode comes out, we'll have just gotten back from California. Yes. Um, so like that will feel like a vacation and I only have five more work days. 
until I'm embarking on a new chapter and I'm going to be almost a mom of two. So That's exciting. That is what I'm excited about. Pregnancy is going pretty well so far. Yeah. So, yeah, five more work days. That's it. Redemption? Sure. But in the end, he's just another dead rat. Garbage pail behind a Chinese restaurant. Such a great quote from Fantastic Mr. Fox. Oh, my gosh. Wait, what's the one about dogs? That one was kind of weird, too. Oh, uh, Isle of Dogs? Yeah, Isle of Dogs. I loved that movie. Our dogs like that movie. I know, our dogs did like that movie. That was such a fun movie. Yeah. Brian Cranston was in it. It was so good. Spatza. Wes Anderson is hit or miss for me, so. All right, I, I'm excited, too, about um, our transition in life. In fact, we just heard that... Um, you know, like it seems like, you know, we're, we're having a second baby. I've heard some other podcast friends of ours, uh, like Margaret House and stuff, they're having their first. So it's really exciting when you're having babies and stuff and, you know, um, bringing in new little mouseketeers into the world, right? Ooh. It's awesome. It's so good. Um, do you want to talk about uh, Sleeping Beauty's castle? Get into that? Let's talk about it. I'd love to hear the history of this teeny tiny castle. Oh, gosh. Here we go. I promise I won't be annoying. Sleeping Beauty's Castle, opening day attraction from 1955, when Walt Disney himself opened up Disneyland. Okay, Very sentimental. Oh, it's so sentimental. It is um, the tallest building in the park that is not a mountain, which is interesting to me. Um, that makes sense. At the time, it could be seen from anywhere from two to three miles away. Which is insane to think about now. That is insane. But there was like nothing in Anaheim before yeah. that, right? Orange groves. Um, it is 77 humble feet tall. And um, like I said, it's the tallest structure in Disneyland that's not designed to be a mountain. Although I think that at this point, things in DC are, are taller than that, of course. Um, but right, it's not. We're not sure. counting those. Yep. Um, so let's just, we're going to do this in a couple different ways here. We're going to talk about the history of the ride. We're going to talk a little bit about the architecture. We're going to talk about the changes, and of course, we're going to talk about the walkthrough. Yes. That's a big one. Yep. That so, is the attraction. That's right, the exactly. That's the, yep. whole, that's the whole darn thing. And there's a lot about it, which I, I find very fascinating Good. and compelling. Um, so originally, it was going to be the Mickey Mouse Park um, that evolved into Disneyland. And um, from very early on, there was always going to be some kind of a castle you know, involved in the park itself. And as the size of the park grew, the size of the castle grew, like in their planning in early days, um, early on, um, uh, WED Imagineering wanted to use the castle from like various animated movies, but none of them really fit within Walt's original idea. So he brought in a gentleman named Herb uh, Ryman, who was the concept designer, to design a castle from scratch. And he did this alongside Marvin Davis, who was an architectural designer. Uh, different ideas kind of circulated around, and they were having, you know, a really hard time kind of figuring out, like, what they wanted it to be. And, and at one point, I, there were even, like, drawings and sketches of it being, like, a building that just kind of resembled the castle. So, like, a basic building with some, like, walls and stuff, and it, it had castle features, but it wasn't actually that. Weird. But Walt felt like, he really needed to push the idea of a castle because to him, Disneyland was going to be a living place and it would basically invite people into the story. So he didn't want the castle to just be like a passive part of the architecture. He wanted it to be something that created a sense of curiosity and adventure for the guests. And basically, you know, he wanted something at the end of almost every major walkway to entice guests and like attract their attention and bring them in further. Yes. And then, of course, unlike Sleeping Beauty, or unlike Cinderella's castle, rather, you could actually walk through. Disneyland's yes. like walk Correct. right through it, yep. which is major negative points for Disney. But they do massive stage shows. Up no there. good. No, no. I'm sorry. Anyways, okay. Hocus so. Pocus villain spectacular. Right. Can there. we not argue about it was the castles? So good. <laughs> it was so good. I am going in with with open heart, hearing what you have so to say. So open Sleeping heart, Man. open mind, clean carpets. Walt used the castle, castle basically in terms of visual, uh, visually pulling you past Main Street and inviting you to see more of the park. Um, he referred to it, which we've heard before, and we've talked about to, with Brett about this, as the weenie of the park. Yes. And Brett did um, teach us that. This is, such a, this is such a like, dumb, weird thing to say. Sorry, Walt, no disrespect. But 
he basically said it's the weenie because it's like holding a hot dog and waving it around to get a dog's attention. And I'm like, what's with Walt Disney and hot dogs? I, Those were Mickey's first words. Yeah. You know, and... and That big old short where he's just... Hot dog. Yeah. Um, Carnival Crazies, I think yeah. it was, was yep. what it was called. Um, but anyway, that's what he referred to it as. He's like, it's, this is the park's weenie. It's... it's, it's <laughs> It's supposed to. There's no not awkward way yeah. to say that. Anyways. Um, yeah. So that's basically what it was. It was a way to really grab guests' attention. And like I, what I think is interesting, too, is that it wanted, he wanted it to kind of pull people past Main Street, right? right? So you are in Main Street and you see something and you're like, oh, there's something to go toward. Right. right? There's a I mission think that here. totally makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so Herb Ryman looked at several European castles for cues and design ideas. Um, but his biggest inspiration for this fantasy land icon would come um, from the uh, Neuschwastein Castle in Bavaria. Neuschwastein? Mm-hmm. I don't know how to say it, but I've heard and of that castle. This design basically represented a structure that's 160 feet tall. Um, Walt, of course, wanted the castle to be smaller because he wanted it to reflect a quaint nature of the park better and to not be an intimidating presence for guests. So keep in mind, Disney World, while while Magic Kingdom's footprint isn't exorbitantly more, exorbitantly larger than Disneyland's, Mm -hmm. you still have more space to play with. And so they were able to have a larger castle for that reason. But Disneyland was kind of an intimate little area, right? right? Mm -hmm. Um, And and it still is very much an intimate park. And so for that reason, they had to have a little bit of a smaller castle to um, complement that. So imagine, like, I mean, if you had Cinderella's castle in Disneyland, it would just be utterly enormous because you have way too much space right and and from the um from like the hub to the castle so like the to the to the to the drawbridge is not that far right but it's actually still quite a bit of space from like for instance the partner statue to the door of cinderella's castle and so it's a lot more compact and more intimate and therefore better yeah Uh, smaller is better in this case there you go um imagineer uh fred uh um uh, Yoger went uh, ahead and he built a, a model of the castle. If I pronounce his name wrong, I'm so sorry. You're trying your best. I'm doing everything I can. You're doing, Don't you're doing everything you can. Uh, he was designing um, separate sections of the castle to be taken apart and carefully examined so they can kind of see, you know, everything going on with it and like what worked, what didn't work. And um, everyone really seemed to like it except for uh, Herb Ryman. Um, the story goes before a pitch meeting where they were going to bring Walt in to look at the final uh, iteration of the castle model. Herb went in and he took the top half of the castle off and he turned it around. And when Walt walked in, he saw it as Herb like messed with it and turned the top of the castle backwards. And he was like, this looks great. This is perfect. But he was saying it doesn't resemble the drawings. What happened? And then, you know, Frank, Fred told on him as you do. And uh, <laughs> Walt was like, no, no, this is what we're going to do. This is fantastic. This is perfect. So I found that kind of interesting. That is interesting. You know, it was set up like that. Well, I've kind of thought before, like the front of it looks like a back. Yeah. So that's kind of weird that that is true. Um, interestingly enough, we talked about the tree uh, or it's tough to be a bug uh, last week coming out like what you said seven months, I think, before A Bug's Life came out. It was almost like a promotional tool. Yeah. Well, similarly, um, the working title for the castle was going to be the Fantasyland Castle. And at the time, the studio was working on Sleeping Beauty. But at this time, it actually wasn't going to be out for another four years. And wow. so uh, Walt wanted to go with Sleeping Beauty's castle, despite whether or not the castle or the movie was going to be a success. He's like, this is what we're going to do. It's it's a great way to kind of, um, you know, it, it is a really good way to kind of, you know, represent what we're looking for here. So they went with Sleeping Beauty's castle, although it actually does look quite a bit different than what you will see in the film. Sure. Um, you know, so, uh, of course, the park succeeded. Um, but at the time, the film wasn't as big as a hit as they would have hoped. Um, but because, you know, the castle still bore the name of Sleeping Beauty, it actually, uh, despite the film not being the best film ever, um, or recepted, you know, met with a, with a kind reception, um, it, it did not really tarnish the, uh, the, the reputation of the castle whatsoever. Um, and so originally, once the park opened up, 
and everything was ready to go, um, there was a drawbridge that was up until a literal knight on horseback uh, demanded, quote, open the fantasy land castle in the name of the children of the world. And that was the very first time on opening day that the castle went down. The drawbridge went down. I've never heard that before. Yeah. So the architecture is not super interesting because it's just, you know, good old fashioned 1950s ingenuity and, and gumption. Um, the soil was obviously compacted underneath the, on the earth. Uh, the foundation was poured over and the skeleton of beams and rods gave support to the castle. Um, most of the entirety of the structure, of course, is made of wood. And um, <clears throat> over the lumber, they put on moisture-proof sheets. And then they, they did build a wire lathe and sprayed stucco to give the illusion of, like, stone blocks and yes. stuff like that. Because we have learned that there are actually no bricks. Exactly, correct, castle. yeah. Even though um, it looks like stone, it's not real. Correct, yeah. Some of the castle turrets and towers were constructed at ground level uh, on the Main Street, Main Street Opera House, and they were installed with a crane. Um, the white corbels on the castle were made of fiberglass, and so were the rooftops. And, of course, they were molded fiberglass um, that were put on the f- wooden framework to kind of, you know, build a lot of the accoutrements and, like I said, the corbels and things like that. Um, one of the things, one of the things that, that Walt really wanted to do and uh, his, his older brother Roy kind of poo-pooed at, if you will, was Walt wanted the finials on the very top of you know, the points of the, of the castle to be 24 karat solid gold. Fancy. And Roy was like, dog, we do not have that in the budget. It is unnecessary. It's it's too lavish. Like, this is exactly what he said. Like, we are not doing that. Well, right. Bro. Why would you put all that money into something that you can't see or touch close up? So the story goes, Walt was like, that's great. I know you're the financial brains behind the parks, but I'm the dreamer and it is my park after all. So he instructed his crew to do it anyway and not to tell Roy. Wow, Walt. I know. What a what a what a scoundrel, huh? You sneaky little snake. So, um and what's interesting about it, what I what I what I heard anyway, is that on opening day, um Roy found out about it and he was like, um uh perturbed, maybe a little pissy about the whole thing. And he uh he was like going to talk to Walt about it later on and be like, dude, we, we had a, we had an agreement. We were not going to do this. This is an unnecessary, foolish right. expense. And um, he kept overhearing people like guests saying this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. It's so beautiful. It's so elegant. This is incredible. And he was like, all right, I guess it's OK. Well, yeah, I mean, but people probably would have said that even if it wasn't. Real I know, gold. but this was the 1950s, you know? Well, yeah. Like, Maybe people could spot real gold from 75 feet below. Well, when you didn't have iPads, what else are you supposed to do? You're right. You know? Just stare at gold and examine whether or not it's real. Right. Go take a bite of it and see if your teeth leave a mark. Teeth sink in a little bit. Yeah. That's such a weird... I, I still find that to be a very strange reality that you can like bite into gold and, and, and it's a softer metal. Right, but like why would you do that because then you just ruin the gold i did that too at one of my grandma's lockets when i was little because mm-hmm. it was a real gold and there's my tooth mark for when i'm like three <clears throat> well first of all that is a precious memory that no gold locket could ever replace and yes, secondly my grandma brings it up all the time the value of gold is to like sell it have it melted down and then do whatever you want with it well you're right so anyway all that to say um a little bit later on uh um, our friend from Epcot, ready for this? Ray Bradbury. Yeah. He visited Disneyland and he stopped by the castle and um, he had noticed, this was after Walt's passing, I believe. He had noticed that the castle's chapel was very familiar and represented the backside of Notre Dame, including the spire. Um, he called up an Imagineer, John Hench, and asked him how long has that spire been on the side of Sleeping Beauty's castle. And John replied, well, it's been there for 30 years. So this was like in the 80s, right? So this is definitely after after Walt passed. And um, Bradbury had realized that he had never seen it before and was like, well, who put it there? Like, why was there such a specific detail there from, you know, Notre Dame? And he said, Walt put it there. And his reasoning was just literally because Walt loved it. And he was like, I want this to be something beautiful and, you know, incredible. So... That's kind of the architecture of it all. You know, again, it's not like extraordinarily impressive, the architecture. It's it's very simple and, and kind of straightforward of what you might expect, except for like maybe some of the molded fiberglass and, and actual gold 
Sure. Um, but then we kind of get into like some changes that happened around it. And this is kind of where like things start really unraveling and unfolding to like the various changes that have happened over the years. Um, uh, for the for the first decade of the castle's existence, um, there were very few changes that were actually made to it, except for a little bit of a pink hue was painted on it to kind of add a little bit of a little bit of a color. Was it not always pink? No, not always. <gasps> I thought it was always pink. It was not. Uh, it was more of like a vibrant pink. You can look it up. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't. It didn't always have pink on it. It was. Well, I know for sure it didn't always have like that pink look that you would think of today. Um, but in the summer of 1965, the Disney family crest was added right above the drawbridge. Um, in 1977, we saw the very first uh, major change. And um, uh, we'll kind of talk about the, uh, the walkthrough in a minute. But guests didn't really like the, 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 um, some of the things that were in the walkthrough. So they actually went through and made a bunch of changes to that. And again, I mean, it was, it was, you know, like they, um, we'll talk about the walkthrough in a minute. I forgot I said that. Uh, in 1983, um, Tony Baxter, he wanted to, uh, commemorate the drawbridge being opened during a reopening and reimagining, uh, reimagining a fantasy land. Um, and so they actually took the 30 year old mechanism that was still working fine and they were able to. Um, you know, basically put the drawbridge back down again, which I think is great. Um, for Disneyland's 45th anniversary, this was the year 2000, the castle was um, included rainwater runoff spouts that were redone to look like the squirrels from Sleeping Beauty. Oh. So that's kind of adorable, you that know. That is really cute. Those are really cute squirrels. And then uh, we do get into kind of more modern times with the castle. Again, it had very, very, very little changes done to it until, you know, like the late... Um, until the late 80s when they started doing some more stuff, adding more, you know, colors and things like that. Um, but then in 2004, Disneyland had gone through a major refurbishment um, because they were approaching their uh, 50th anniversary mm -hmm. in 2000, 2005. Yep. So this included a brand new t uh, color scheme for the castle and adding decorative touches. Um, the finials were completely replaced with identical uh, replicas. So the gold finials were completely replaced. And updated, um, they were climbing vines on the castle that were also removed to help allow for um, the painting of the stone blocks. Likewise, uh, temporary decorations were added to give uh, the look of crowns and bunting around some of the uh, towers. And then, of course, at the time, it was fairly controversial, but the pink hues were uh, much more vibrant and, and warmer colors. Yes, that's what I was seeing when right. I was trying to look up. I mean, obviously, you can't look up like color photos from 1955 you can see some there, there's some things that you there's, can see most of them are black but, and white right. though but it basically just said like it was there was nothing definitive that i saw in my 10 seconds of research but <laughs> sure. um it basically has just gotten to be more vibrant colors every time right. they've exactly. worked on it. Like it used to be a really pale pink and pale blue, and it's just gotten darker and darker and more. Yeah, vibrant. I mean, it, there were there was pink to it, like you said. I mean, there are some pictures of it that that kind of show. But again, I mean, if, even if you look at these older photos, like a lot of the kids look kind of faded out. So it was also depending on the kind of film they were using at the Correct, time and, exactly. and the color correcting of that and all but that. But it seems like a faint pink with a faint blue, even back in the day. Right. So, uh, like I said, I mean, it was fairly controversial, but they, they made the, the pinks much more warm and, and vibrant. Um, there were original blue fiberglass rooftops that they repainted with a glossy teal color scheme, and the corbels and framing stonework were painted with gold hues to reflect the 50th golden anniversary. Uh, in uh, 2005, they started putting up white LEDs during the holiday season to make it look like snow. But eventually, um, that began to take its toll on the old fiberglass. Um, plus, you know, of course, like the harsh sun and, and, and right. dirt and everything from the Anaheim, Southern California skies yeah. um, began to fade the color. So, so Disney, you know, they saw all the dents and the cracks and the fading, um, but they actually ended up uh, keeping the, uh, the, the overlays from, at this time, um, you know, they, they, they kept all of the stuff from the 50th anniversary until they had money to fix the problem. Um, 
in 2014, they did add railing to the center walkways to look like wrought iron and bronze. Um, there really was like no particular reason for this, except like it could have been like a safety thing where they were required, but they just liked the way it looked. Mm-hmm. So they just they just did it. Um, and then, of course, you know, the next change did come in 2015 for Disneyland's 60th anniversary. Yes. And uh, the warm pink colors were toned down a bit. And then temporary overlay rooftops were added with that LED technology to advertise the diamond anniversary. Um, they also began to add, add in like projector towers, which you've seen. They're, they're kind of off to the side. It, they could be an eyesore, but from different angles, they sure. can look like just like watchtowers or whatever. Yep. Um, so I'd mentioned that, you know, the, the, the harsh sun and stuff had, had begun to kind of corrode the rooftop and things like that. And so they, they, whenever I hear something, someone in Disney, like something about Disney say like, you know, they held off cause they didn't have the money. I'm like, what? Right. How do you not have the money? Don't, but don't you make millions and millions of dollars? Right. Um, but I guess if you're spending a lot of money for all the upkeep and exactly there's all of the overhead yeah. for disney is probably a lot too so i don't know what the margins are for disneyland but i would imagine that it's um fairly minimal yeah i don't know i have no idea this episode is brought to you by deep cut deep cut are makers and purveyors of handcrafted extremely high quality record storage and displays shelving slip mats coasters and so much more We love these guys. They're based out of Minnesota, and they've been sponsoring the show for some time now, but we've actually had Deep Cut in our home for years. One of the first things that we got from them were actually our uh, flip record display shelves and their floating U-shelves that we just absolutely love. Uh, Their U-shelves are beautiful. We have the walnut walnut ones that are actually in our bedroom and hold some plants, some photo frames, uh, some books, things like that. And also we have their flip record display shelves in our sitting room. Uh, where our record player is, and we have all of our favorite albums um, easily accessible and, and ready to see at any given time. Um, I, I can't really say enough about how much we we really love Deep Cut. Um, they're such a great company. Their philosophy is quality and handcraftsman uh, and handcrafted products first. And uh, it's, it's just one of those places where when you when you get an item, when you get um, uh, when you when you get your package, when you get your stuff from Deep Cut, you you can just tell immediately when you pull it out. Like you can smell. Um, you can smell the wood. You can feel like the quality of it as you are, um, as you're kind of uh, pulling everything out and taking a look at your new products. It's it's unbelievable, and frankly, it's it's unrivaled. Um, we have as the Parks Academy a very special promo code. You can use the code TPA10 at checkout, and you will get 10% off your first order at Deep Cut. Listen, guys, I I, I really got to tell you, um, you can go ahead and apply this to anything. Um, from their brand new tabletop uh, record stand, which I highly recommend, uh, their wall cubes, like I said, their, uh, their flip record display shelves, their amazing turntable coasters, and um, also I love, I, I, I keep saying this, but I love their uh, floating U shelves. I'm such an advocate and, a, uh, and, and someone who um, just loves these products and will, will, will tell it to everyone. I'm not saying this because they sponsor the show. I mean this. Um, we actually got their coasters not that long ago. And one of my favorite things about it is uh, that there's a detail in the middle of the record that says, listen to music the hard way. Um, again, I just, you know, their, their passion for quality and aesthetics and, and, and bringing forward a really great product is, is undeniable. So again, if you go to their website and you type in TPA10, you are going to get 10% off your first order. Thank you again so much to Deep Cut for sponsoring the show and being a part of the Parks Academy. And now... Back to the show. The The final big thing that we saw was in 2019 when something called Project Stardust was underway to freshen the park. Do you have any idea like what Project Stardust could have been for in 2019? They weren't already starting on the 100th, were they? No. What happened in 2019 that was leading us to a big refreshment of Disneyland? I'll give you a hint. A brand new land opened up. Oh, Galaxy's Edge. Yes. So uh, they were um, anticipating for Galaxy's Edge. And of course, then the money uh, came in. Kim Irvine, she uh, was given the job to freshen up Sleeping Beauty's castle for the 65th. And the main focus was the installation of new rooftops to replace the originals. 
Um, John Hinch, an Imagineer, told her to push the color and to not be afraid of vibrant, of adding vibrant color to aspects of the castle. Her work took cues from the original work of Herb Ryman's concepts, and her design was a brand new look that paid homage to the past. Um, the roof, roof had deep blues with gold sparkles of pixie dust, while the spires faded into like a lighter color um, going up into the top, you know, from like a deep blue to almost like a white to kind of help right. with like um, the illusion of forced perspective. And then, of course, the final change was that iridescent colors were added um, just this year in celebration of the 100th anniversary of Disney. Hooray. So the castle had gone through a lot of different changes. And, um, you know, again, I mean, visually, it's like because it was like Walt's thing, it, there's not a whole lot that changed about it except for just like cosmetic things and, and sure. colors and stuff like that. Right. The foundation of it hasn't changed. The shape of it hasn't changed. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So. um. Let's talk about the walkthrough, which I had an epiphany about this walkthrough that that I'm just going to tell you completely blew my mind. So you mentioned this past week mm -hmm. that you didn't remember the walkthrough until a certain point. Correct. Yeah. I'm guessing that has something to do with it either not being there or not being available. It's a really it's a really interesting story that may have a little bit of conspiracy behind it. Okay. So we're going to put on our tinfoil hats and jump in. All right. Let's see what happened. Um, so the walkthrough, Walt originally felt like the attraction was basically useless. Uh, like, like the castle was useless and it just took up space, right? Of course, it's beautiful. It's a great thing to look at, but it's just like there. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's not really doing anything to help with the guest experience other than just seeing it and walking underneath it. Sure. Um, Walt had very confidently, you know, tasked Imagineer Ken Anderson to lead a team that could develop a use for the space. Um, but because of the way that the castle was built, the forced perspective, you know, and, and uh, these narrow hallways, the fact that it was only 77 feet tall and the first 25 feet had enough headroom for walkable space. Um, the structure like did not really lend itself to be an attraction in any way because right. it was never built with that in mind. Exactly. And um, you know, I mean, it, it doesn't have a lot of depth. It's very thin. Mm -hmm. It's like some of the some of the spires and like areas are more like closets right. than big areas. That makes sense. And it also wasn't designed for walking, and it was kind of laid out like a maze. So um, Ken Anderson had decided that they were going to create some kind of a walkthrough that told the story of Sleeping Beauty. Mm -hmm. Um. No one had seen the inside of the castle until uh, two years after its opening. And um, it really, in a lot of ways, was actually um, one of the very first feats of interactive experiences and using effects um, and, and kind of all of these early imaginary tools like Pepper's Ghost and things like that that right. were, um, you know, we know as, as huge parts of, of theme park attractions that are used today, even just outside of Disney. Right. Um, so Walt went up with Ken Anderson into the castle and they found hundreds of feral cats living inside the halls and the dioramas. And it's reported that, um, some of the people at Disney were like, that's no problem. We'll just, you know, take care of the cats. If you know what I mean. What? Hundreds of feral cats in there. I have so many questions. And so Walt was like, pump the brakes. So he paid to have every single one of those cats bathed, groomed, medicated, and put out for adoption. Um, despite, like I said, the team wanting to kind of like exterminate. <laughs> How did they get there? Well, so we know that there are cats that are in Disney all over the place. Did you know this? I did not know that. Oh, well, okay. I thought, that, I thought this was like common knowledge, so I guess not. I've never seen a cat in Disneyland. So there are cats in Disney Disneyland that go out at night. Sometimes you can see them during the day, but that primarily go out at night. That just live in Disneyland. Mm -hmm. And you know what they do there? What do they do? They hunt for mice. So are they are... supposed to be there? Yes, they're supposed to be there. So there are cats in Disneyland, and their what? main goal is to keep mice and rats and stuff away. And then they have places to go back to during the day when people are in the parks, because cats aren't typically social. Like, again, you will see a cat from time to time in Disney. But usually cats hate people. But yeah, so when it's nighttime and everything, you know, they'll, they'll go hunting. 
at night. And they will what? basically clean up the park and keep vermin and pests out of the it. Betsy. Isn't that interesting? You love that or what? I am so surprised. Yeah, I can't believe you didn't know that. I mean, I'm I not trying to. That. I'm not trying to feign surprise, but I genuinely thought like that was very common knowledge that Disneyland had feral cats. No, I had no idea, and now I'm gonna be like consciously like trying not to sneeze or itch next time I'm in Disneyland. <laughs> so hundreds of feral cats, and then one of the other things I heard about this that that could be true, couldn't maybe not be true. I don't know, but um, they were like covered head to toe in fleas when Ken and Walt went in there because of all the cats and so they got itchy and they had to like leave so Walt was like basically told um you know these two guys that were with him there like you need to be subtle and you need because they went in when the park was open sure and he was like you basically need to be subtle and you need to like get out of here and take like a back way or something or go through whatever and like apparently like the itching from the fleas was so over the top that they ran through the crowd and just like got to wherever they're going to go too fast. Oh my god. Despite Walt being like please be discreet about this whole thing. Yep. Um it's hard to be discreet when you're super itchy and right. actually covered in fleas. So artist uh, artist I um Ivan Earl he was working on the backgrounds and the landscapes for the film Sleeping Beauty at the time. And he was commissioned by Disney to do the artwork for the sets of the walkthrough so that it basically matched the film. Mm-hmm. Um, Ken found enough room to fit 11 dioramas throughout the castle, uh, its narrow walking paths. And the main hall is located on the second story of the castle. They had to include reinforcements to help keep it sturdy. And part of the reinforcements are actually in the gift shops below. Uh, Ken and his team had to enclose part of the castle that was visible to the public where it was open before and to ultimately create hallways that like hadn't previously existed. Sure. Um, but the impact on it like visually was super minimal. Um, the walkthrough opened on April 29th, 1957. So a little under two years yeah. from when the park first opened. Okay. And there was a ribbon cutting ceremony with Walt Disney and um, Shirley Temple, who was dressed up as a princess and at the time was an adult. She was actually there with her son. I believe it was on his birthday, which is really cute. And um, guests at the time, uh, well, they would spend 20 cents to climb up into the castle to go see it and uh, to go experience the dioramas. And they would exit through um, uh, and get a souvenir booklet about the experience they saw. Um, One of the things I I found really interesting, and when I first heard about these, this particular area of it, um, I was really confused. Like, I don't remember this at all. But apparently there were, um, was a little area where you can walk into and it was called like Maleficent's Demons or something. Oh. And you could peek through keyholes in three different doors and there would be like these goons looking back at you. Mm -hmm. And so what they had done, they were like illuminated with like black light or whatever it was. And so what they had done was they set it up to where... um, they, they set it up to where uh, there were mirrors perfectly placed. So when you peeked in, you saw like there was a mirror coming out of the goon's eyes and they were kind of pushed out a little bit and a little mirror was on the end of a stick or like a rod. Mm-hmm. And so when you looked through, it reflected your eye back. And so it looked like your eyes were on these creatures. Uh, oh, and weird. so there were two of them um, that were like looking at you. Uh, one of them had two eyes and then another one had a single singular eye. Well, maybe use this as like show art or something to share it but mm-hmm. they were like green goons and stuff and then the second door that you would look through um there were uh i would say a dozen or more mirrors and every one of them was perfectly angled so that when you looked into it you saw your eye in the mirror and so it was just like a black room with just your eye look like a bunch of eyes looking back at you Weird. um and then for some reason i don't know why but there was a first door um that you could look through the keyhole and there was like nothing in there i don't know what happened with that but that was the case um uh unfortunately uh this did not last very long because it took up a lot of time and the the line started to get really really backed up well, right because everyone would want to stop at every key because everyone's stopping to look in the murals and then you've got these people who are like now looking through the keyholes and like everyone's right. got to take their turn it's like you can't all look at it at one time so they ended up closing that area off it is no longer doesn't exist anymore um on october 7th uh, actually, no, let's go back really quick here. I mentioned something about the 70s, right? And in 1977, um, this was the first year of, of like major changes to the castle. And um, the guests thought the artwork was lame and they didn't like it anymore. Within the walkthrough? Yes. Oh. And so in the 70s, uh, they actually brought in 
like dolls. Um, you know how like on Main Street they have like these little dioramas of like weird dolls and stuff? Or at one point, it's the more, now it kind of looks more like the movie characters, but at one point it was like dolls um, with like real hair and just all this weird stuff. So yeah. they replaced them with like, you know, it looked more 3D um, and they were like motorized and it was just like this kind of whole different feel and yep. vibe. Um, so uh, f- move forward to um, October 7th, 2001, and the ride was closed without notice for refurbishment. And by 2004, it was mostly gutted. And um, Tony Baxter had in an interview confirmed that it just didn't live up to what people remembered and what they had seen in the movies um, because a lot of the show scenes that they had in the attraction were actually not in the movie because, again, it was put in four years prior. Right, before the movie even came out. Here's where we, we start putting on our, our tinfoil hats a little bit and start getting a little bit interesting about this. Okay. If you think about what happened in September 2001, Mm-hmm. There was obviously the the worst terror attack the United States ever saw yep. on our soil for 9-11. And so it was speculated that the castle was closed due to 9-11 attacks because mm. Disneyland and Disney World were, you know, high they, they were they deemed were high, high target for, areas, yep, right? Yep. Because of and the so, high population of people in a confined space. Um but the Imagineers, like they were saying it wasn't true. Which I thought was kind of interesting. Interesting. So John McClintock, um, who was a representative of of Disney, a spokesperson, he said in 2001, um, "I'm aware of these rumors, but it." Uh, he said, um, "He said I'm aware aware of these rumors, um, but in in 2001, it just wasn't resonating with guests." And so um, he said, "In the late 90s, early 2000s, arguably the most popular thing about Sleeping Beauty was that." Um, you know, you could get in it because no one was ever in there. So for them, he was saying it wasn't popular anymore. Right. No one was going in. And um, again, this is all pure speculation. But in the early 90s, Eisner and all the other executives wanted to close it down for good. And, you know, they did very briefly in the 90s, but it was like really protested. And so they immediately opened it back up. Interesting. Um, and here's what here's what I just find to be like crazy interesting is that. Um, a lot of people believe that the executives used safety in 9-11 as like a scapegoat for why they closed it to begin with. That's what I was thinking. Because um, Cinderella's castle did not get the same treatment. Yes, Disney was closed for a period of time after sure. all of that for concerns and safety, but it didn't yep. stay down shut forever. Right. And um, Sleeping Beauty's castle didn't get the same treatment and the restaurant inside of it was still operating. Mm. Well, the restaurant's profitable. And the Sleeping right. Beauty attraction is not profitable. Right. You don't pay 20 cents per walkthrough anymore. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's, you know, it's chump change. But like Cinder Royal's Royal Table <laughs> um, title is a very, very, very profitable experience Absolutely. for them. And so, you know, if they were really worried about safety, that would have been something that they may have done too, but they didn't. Yeah. So anyway, that's just a thought. Um, <clears throat> in 2007... Um, there was a Blu-ray re-release of Sleeping Beauty, and Tony Baxter saw that as a chance to bring life back into the walkthrough. Um, he and his team came up with ideas to return the walkthrough to its original Ivan Earl design, but with modern effects. That's why I don't remember as a kid. Yep. Because I first went to Disney in 2002. Yep, so it was closed down. And it reopened on December 5th, 2008. Yep. When they went up there... So you were already in high school exactly. by the time it opened. Precisely. Yep. When they went up there to um, um, to reopen it and they had shut it down, what did they find when they went back up? Did they find more cats? Barrel cats, baby. Dozens of them. Ew. All up in Cinderella, all up in the Sleeping Beauty's castle. Ew. <laughs> Isn't cats that good? Cats cats, I guess. Um, so very few changes. So you've seen it. It's gorgeous. I mean, it's, yes. it's a lot of fun. It's, yeah, it's, it's so great. cool. Um, it's a great experience. It's very lively, but it also feels very like original artwork. Mm-hmm. Um, the only change that they made to it was they made an, uh, and I think this is really nice. I did not know this existed, but they made an alternate experience for folks who are unable to climb stairs. Oh. And, um, you can go into a little room sort of off to the side of, of the base of the castle within Fantasyland. 
and you can watch on a screen. You can actually see it's like a quiet little dark room where you can watch on the screen someone filming through the experience and basically taking you through it. Oh, that's wonderful. Another thing I didn't know, and I learned this like the morning of my research, and then when I found out about this experience, I was like, why is the universe just like throw, hitting me with all these coincidences? Um, you could do the same thing for Finding Nemo's submarine voyage. Where you can go into really? a room and sit and watch the screens that you would see in the voyage in the voyage without getting into the the very cramped submarine. So that could be very fun to do. There's an idea. Right. I'm never getting on that. Isn't that submarine. interesting though? Yeah. And it'd be fun. I mean, the, I think the submarine might be Not to ride, take ride away from like the place where it is not designed for me, but if I ever wanted to just see what it was like, that's very sweet that they have that option. Right. For sure. For accessibility purposes, that's awesome. So here's a couple of fun facts about. Sleeping Beauty's castle, and then we will we can maybe hash it out to see who's is better, and then okay. we'll wrap it all up. Sounds good. Uh, for Disneyland's 40th anniversary in 1995, um, a, a a 40th anniversary time castle, not capsule, but a time castle, lame, <laughs> was buried in the castle's courtyard, and it will be opened in 2035. Wow! So we have uh, 12 more years. Yeah. 2035 is 12 years away. Mm, wow. Disneyland's um, Sleeping Beauty uh, Castle is the only Disneyland castle with a functioning, or only Disney castle, rather, with a functioning drawbridge. Oh. Now the others have it. Hong Kong's uh, Disneyland Sleeping Beauty's castle had the same design for a very long time as Disneyland. Mm -hmm. It was exactly the same. Yep. But then, of course, they changed it to the Castle of Magical Dreams, which is basically like a culmination of, of a bunch of different princess castles right. and it's crazy and it's gorgeous but mm -hmm. i don't think it looks as good as the other castle because it right. was like it had the big mountainscape backdrop that was I just know, phenomenal it's so pretty um and then the other two things are the uh harold lee shop where you can go get your family's coat of arms on personalized plaques and clothing um is at the base of the castle mm -hmm. right in Fantasyland, and then of course um you have bippity boppity boutique Mm -hmm. And that is where you can get your princess or prince makeovers with toys and accessories and clothing. And, and that's things like on that. the back side of the castle, like Correct. on the fantasy land. Whereas side, right? in I believe in Disney World, it's in Disney Springs. There's a few Are there locations a few of them? in Walt Disney World. Let me look it up. Yeah. Well anyway, all that to say, um I do think I do think that uh it's a lot of fun to, you know, know that like those are right there and all that. But um yeah, that that's Sleeping Beauty's castle. I, I think that you know it does have. Well, there's not a lot of like lore behind it, and we don't have, you know, all of this crazy amount of imagineering, you know, thought and everything that went behind it. Like with so many of the other things we've discussed, um, I still think it's like extremely fun and interesting to to talk about. And the walkthrough is incredible. I don't think it needs lore because it kind of speaks for itself that it's right. just from this world of Sleeping Beauty. That, yeah. And of course, you know, when you look at it, you're like, oh yeah, this is Walt's castle. Right. You know, I mean, yep, it was like, the, sure. it was the only park that he ever laid his eyes on mm -hmm. um, as a finished product. And um, so anyways, I just think it's very cool and very special to, to think about. I have Bippity Boppity Boutique. Triple B, baby. Hit me with it. Details. Magic Kingdom, it's actually reopening August 25th 2022 because it was closed all that time for covid so it's like a year ago a year or just ago, about open back. Okay, I just don't. 2022 got it it just they haven't updated the wording okay um got it. disney springs has one that mm -hmm. still says temporarily unavailable i don't know when the last time they updated this web page was so mm -hmm. we'll have to check on that but this is actually disney world's website and at the grand floridian resort and spa also says temporarily unavailable but we don't know how current this info is gotcha. but there are three locations within walt disney world pretty so great cool yep that's great um hopefully you found this little tale of the castle to be fascinating it was great i hope it was great i still appreciate Do you still sleeping like, you still not like it Do you no think it's lame it it's not that I don't like it. Yeah. It's just that I think that it's underwhelming compared to Cinderella's castle. Yeah. Like I still appreciate it for what right. it is. I think it's beautiful. Um, our dear friend Kirsten Judkins, who we had on the mm -hmm. podcast, makes beautiful merchandise. Yes. Please yes, yes, check yes. out her page. And I have a few of her mm -hmm. um, Sleeping Beauty castle items. Like mm -hmm. I have um, some keychains, keychains, uh, pins, artwork, stickers, yes, things like stickers. that. Stickers. 
I think it's beautiful and I think it's timeless and I mm-hmm. think it's very nostalgic, even though sure. it's not tapping into the same nostalgia for me. Mm-hmm. It just is underwhelming compared to Cinderella's mm-hmm. Castle. And I will never forget the first time I went to Disneyland and I walked into the park and I was like, wait. Did you have any context what? for its size when you first went into Disneyland? No. You didn't even, I guess we weren't like Disney heads back then necessarily. Well, but I but... also, I had seen pictures of the castle, but mm-hmm. not pictures of it at the end of Main Street. Mm-hmm. So I'm seeing this castle and it just, it still looks big in a picture. Right, right. Because it is still a 77 big. 77 feet's not nothing. Right. It's you know? still an icon, a park icon. Yeah. That's obviously why we're talking about it. Right, right. But I had never seen it in the context of Main Street. Mm-hmm. And when you see Cinderella's castle in the context of Main Street, mm-hmm. it towers over everything. Yeah. When you see Sleeping Beauty's castle from the other mm-hmm. end of Main Street, it yeah. looks like the same height as the Main Street buildings. Sure. From sure. the vantage point mm-hmm. of I just entered the yeah. park right. and I'm looking down Main Street straight down the walkway and I'm like, wait, but it's the same height as these buildings. It's not. It's taller. Yeah, for sure. But from that vantage mm-hmm. point, I was like, wait. I had no idea. I was just so underwhelmed. I think if I had known going in yeah. or I had seen that in context, right, right. it wouldn't have felt so surprising. Um, I was very surprised the first so, time I saw it. Um, I, I saw a before and after picture of the Hong Kong Disneyland's um, castle that was a replica of Disneyland's. And then afterward, <clears throat> the Castle of Magical Dreams. And it was showing it from the perspective of Main Street. And what I found to be interesting was that the Castle of Magical Dreams actually looks a little bit too imposing. It's really big, but it's kind of like shoehorned into the same footprint of where the other castle was. And so I can see how, like, if it's too big, it does look a little bit out of place and strange and a little intimidating. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, But anyway, I I just found that to be very, very interesting. Um, I I was really glad to look up details about this. And... uh, what, what I liked the most about it, I think, is that there was a lot of information about Walt himself and his involvement with the um, the castle and, and, and his input and, and stuff like that. Yeah, so. this was the oldest history we got during this yeah. series. So that was And cool. I mean, frankly, this will be will continue to be the oldest yep. thing that we really cover yep. because it's, you know, I mean, it's the very first thing. Yeah. Yep. That's so. awesome. Anyway. Uh, thanks so much, everyone, for listening. We, we really appreciate you and um, your support of the show. Um, if you'd like to continue supporting the show, again, you can you can hit us up on um, Apple Podcasts where you can write us a nice review or give us a good rating. That goes a long way for discoverability. And of course, we really just appreciate your support in, in, in general. Um, you can find us at theparksacademypod.com as well as the Parks Academy on Instagram. We are most active and, and um, engaged on there. And uh, finally, thank you so much to our sponsor, Deep Cut, for um, uh, providing our listeners with a 10% off link using TPA10. At checkout for 10% off your first order of their record um, displays, accessories, and other great items. Again, we we really can't say thank you enough for uh, your support. And, um, you know, start in Canada, start in Adventureland, like I say, every time now.